beautiful humans, welcome back to the Find Your Fizz podcast. My name is Fizz, the host of this podcast, and I'm here to help you rediscover your physical life and help you really notice what it is that sparks that joy. What little things can you do daily that can truly just connect you back to yourself? Now, this podcast is all about creating safe spaces for open conversations. And we've got a really open conversation today. So I just wanted to give a little trigger warning. We are talking about eating disorders today and how to manage an eating disorder, how to support someone going through an eating disorder. So if you feel like this might be too triggering for you, please check the show notes before you continue to listen. Helplines will also be available with details just below. So before we get into the podcast, I wanted to introduce a wonderful sponsor for this show. The sponsor is Pip and Fizz Retreats and Events, which I am so excited to be a co-founder of. And we are here to offer you the most amazing getaway in January 2022. So if you feel like you need four days, three nights away from the 3rd to 6th of January, then listen in until the end of the show for a little discount. So we're so excited and we hope you can join us. Now, let's get back to the show today. We have the most incredible London-based eating disorder specialist, dietitian, Talia, who is here to help us take back control. And she introduced this whole new concept within the dietitian world of the rule breaker challenge. So if you know someone that is going through an eating disorder, or you're someone that may be interested in learning more, then please do listen into this conversation and also check out Talia's wonderful work straight after this show. So let's get straight into it. So this week I have a very exciting guest. Talia is a UK registered specialist eating disorder dietitian and runs a successful online clinic leading a team of specialist dietitians to support people to recover from eating disorders and disordered eating and overcome diet rules and food fears. So without further ado, let's introduce Talia into the conversation. Hi Talia. Hi Liz. How are you doing today? Really good, thank you. So excited to be here. Oh, honestly, it's such an honor. And I think I was just saying just before we started and I was like, Talia is one of those people that I've been keeping an eye on for years. Not only just like as someone that I'm inspired by on social media, but someone that I think has so much, such a gift to give to help others find their physical life. And that is why you're here. So can you tell us a little bit about like your backstory and how you've come to where you are with everything you do? Because obviously, I'm assuming you didn't start nutritional dietitian as an eating disorder specialist from the off go. No, that's that's right. So I I wanted to be a dietitian from a very young age. So from about 15, 16, I knew that I wanted to work in nutrition, which is pretty special. Um, but I had no interest in working in eating disorders. In fact, when I graduated, it was an area that I thought that I never wanted to work in. And it wasn't until my third year out of university uh, that I started a new job. And on my very first day, I got allocated to be on the eating disorders unit uh, at an adolescent and children's hospital. And it's like it completely opened up 
my world to this whole new area that I thought I wouldn't enjoy working in, but it was the complete opposite. And I felt so valued to be part of the eating disorder team and to really have an impact on the lives of um, children and their families. So that really kickstarted my interest in eating disorders. And from there, I decided that I wanted to specialize in it. And I think working in or working as a dietitian as well, especially when I went through university, it was such a traditional, in you know, quotation marks, like a traditional approach to health that was very black and white. It was all about, you know, weight management. I didn't even know what intuitive eating really was. That wasn't something that we learned about. So similar to lots of dietitians that now work in the eating disorder space, we sort of stumbled across this area at some point in our career. And I'm so glad that I have. Um, so after that job that I worked at with uh, children and adolescents, I then went to work on an adult eating disorders unit um, and also had a role in the community as well as an eating disorder dietitian and worked at the Butterfly Foundation, which is the equivalent of BEAT, but in Sydney in Australia. Uh, and yeah, did that for a couple of years. And then I moved over to the UK. And so now I work part-time on an adult eating disorders unit in London and then part-time running my business, Talia Chikeli Nutrition, where we have an online clinic that specializes in supporting people to overcome their eating disorders or disordered eating. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but um, also run a rule breaker challenge. So just about to head into the third round of that in January, which we can talk about. It's, it's one of those funny things at 15, knowing that you want to become a dietitian of some sort. I, I feel like that's the time when all the teenagers, but you're probably similar to me where I was very health conscious just personally I, I live with a long-term condition so I was always so aware of how I had to make sure my diet was great like I was eating healthy to feel good and all that but it, it's such a strange time for you to kind of think oh yeah I want to be a dietitian at the time yeah it was I was similar to you I was always into sport and I loved food loved cooking grew up in an Italian family I used to pack my own lunch when I was about eight years about you know eight years of age and uh, take that to school. So I, the reason I found out about what a dietitian was, was because I played rep netball and we had a dietitian come to speak to us. And I just remember being so inspired by her talk at 15 mm. years of age. And I was like, that seems like such a cool job. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Didn't really know much about it other than <laughs> this dietitian gave a really good presentation. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think because I trained to be a nutritionist at university, so I'm an associate nutritionist, but it, it's kind of like there's been so many different things that opens up between what's the difference between a dietitian and what's the difference between a nutritionist? I guess that's a great, great question to ask you, actually. So what's the difference? Because I think sometimes people don't know who to go to or who falls into what category. Yeah, so I think the main difference really is that dietitians have further training in managing chronic um, and severe sort of medical conditions and illnesses. So we have further training in a hospital setting. So you would find a dietitian working in a hospital, um, whereas a nutritionist doesn't have that further training to be able to work with people that have, for example, um, a cancer or heart disease or a sort of severe eating disorder. So there's, yeah, difference in terms of it's more medical focused um, in terms of the training, but we all do the same, you know, three years at university as, as base study. So, 
you know, you can find a nutritionist working in or even with some of the same uh, clinical population um, and working in food industry and with brands um, and, th- and, you know, sports teams and things like that. It's just that as a dietitian, we've, we've undergone that extra one, one and a half years of, of clinical placement. Mm, yeah, I think that's a huge difference, isn't it? It's that clinical placement and having that real knowledge within the hospital setting because it's a lot of numbers and it's a lot about like the fluids and all that jazz, which I've seen, like obviously being on the other side as a patient, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's that's what we're doing. Um, so I guess like in the dietitian world, because we know there's a lot out there right now in terms of, you know, we need to be healthy right now because of the virus and everything like that. But I think there's a lot that goes on, you were talking about with young people, but you know, the mental health aspect of it, but also leading us to the disordered eating. So what is going on in the field right now that you can sort of share? Oh, there's a lot going. There's a lot going on. That's a, bit of a, That's rant. a big yeah. question, Fizz. <laughs> Where start? No, I think that in terms of dietetics, I've definitely noticed a shift in moving away from the traditional weight loss approach that's very strict and rigid and then that can actually cause someone to have an unhealthy relationship with food in their body. I'm seeing more and more dietitians teaching themselves and upskilling about intuitive eating, health at every size, non-diet approach. Um, And we're coming to realize that relationship with food, you know, in my opinion, is actually more important sometimes than what we're actually eating because mental health is just so important when it comes to our relationship with food and with our bodies. So there's definitely a shift in terms of dietetics, I think, in that. And as much as that's really positive, I feel like the environment that we're living in is actually pushing back against this amazing movement that we as dietitians and nutritionists are experiencing. But there's a huge pushback from things like government guidelines and social media, um, sending really harmful and restrictive messages when it comes to dieting. So even, you know, the message with COVID that, people had to, you know, people had to start to lose weight and they had to exercise more and the lockdown, you know, the horrible terms that they talked about as in like the lockdown weight gain and things like that, which is just not helpful. We've just been through a pandemic where everyone's mental health has really suffered. So I find that what I'm fighting against as a dietitian on social media is people giving unqualified advice. So unqualified professionals talking about their own, um, sort of, yeah, giving their own dietary advice based on just what they've experienced as a person, which is not helpful. Um, And this, yeah, this push to start to monitor our intake in a really unhelpful way. And that's coming from the government, you know, talking about weighing children at school, putting calories on restaurant menus and cafe menus. Um, So more of that focus, which I just find is not helpful. Uh, yeah for the society that we're living in right now Mm, I think there's a lot there in terms of like they're trying to increase the public awareness of nutrition which is obviously right a a huge thing it's great because it become it makes people so intuitive and aware of what's going on and how to stay healthy but at the same time it's so not helpful where 
obviously we talk about a lot about finding our fizz in this podcast, how we find that space inside of us, that spark, that joy in life. And we know food is a massive contributor to that. Like I love food. You love food. Like this is why we do what we do to help others find a great relationship with food. And I guess we were just discussing, obviously having that unhealthy relationship with food. And I just wanted to uh, ask, can you just kind of explain that a little bit what is an unhealthy relationship in comparison to if you were to have a healthy relationship yeah so when we think about someone's relationship with food everyone has a relationship with food it's formed through what what we learn about nutrition how we were brought up the environment that we grew up in terms of did we eat family meals what was our parents relationship with food like what impact did that have did our parents go on diets did they not allow us to have lollies and fizzy drink in the house um, so your relationship with food is constantly um, being influenced by messages that we receive so your relationship with food really put simply is how you view food um, so whether you have a, a very neutral approach to food as being, you know, what I like to say, food is just food versus someone that has an unhealthy relationship with food might put a higher value on food. So they might start to see food as being something that is good or bad. They're quite fearful of certain foods and that they feel like it would influence their weight or shape. Um, there's lots of anxiety and guilt around eating certain foods lots of emotional eating um, in an unhealthy way. We all eat emotionally, but when it comes to be a coping mechanism. So when we think about eating disorders, eating disorders are a spectrum. So um, it's a spectrum of eating disorder and also disordered eating. So when I talk about disordered eating, it means that someone's relationship with food has been impacted negatively or they might have an unhealthy relationship with their body and they don't meet the full criteria for a clinical eating disorder such as anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder. Um, so when someone has disordered eating, they might, um, some of the sort of signs and symptoms that you might see is that they might be dieting, they might have either lost or gained weight, um, they might be cutting out certain food groups or types of foods out of fear of what that food might do if they eat it. Um, it's a very black and white approach to food. They might be really anxious um, going out to eat at a restaurant or cafe. They might be weighing their food or counting calories. So more controlling and obsessive around food, not that relaxed manner that we want to have when it, when it comes to our relationship with food. Um, so yeah, a lot of the signs or symptoms or warning flags that we see for someone that has disordered eating, why it's so scary is because a lot of those behaviours and thoughts about food are really being normalised in the society that we live in. So we're living in a diet culture. And so some people don't recognise that their relationship with food is actually being impacted negatively because they think that what they're doing is, is fine, it's normal because they're seeing other people doing it. So it can be really hard to actually pick up um, and having open conversations with friends or family sometimes is, is all that's needed for someone just to reflect and be like, oh, actually, I don't feel that positively about that food or I do, I do alter my diet this way because I feel anxious or stressed or, or sad or angry or bored. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And I think that's 
that just showcases how there's so many different things that people could be affected by an unhealthy relationship with food. And I'm pretty sure that everyone at some point has maybe had a thought, had a feeling and had that unhealthy relationship, even finding that balance or being like, no, I can't eat chocolate. Like, it's not good for you. Like, it's that thing where we have the choices, but it's the way that sometimes we are influenced by, like you said, people that don't really know what they're saying or talking about. And we see this on social media, which we know is such a big damaging world, but also such an inspiring world. So I guess in terms of social media, let's say, how do you feel that has really impacted the growth of the unhealthy relationship we're having with food? But also, how do you feel it's kind of been such a great tool for people to find that healthy relationship? It's so up and down, isn't it? I feel like even myself, there's like this love-hate relationship with social media. I, so I think that social media has made information so much more accessible, which is fantastic. But also when it comes to those harmful messages, it's obviously really negative that we are receiving these messages constantly through our, through our feeds or what we're reading. So even an example, like when I grew up, if I had to find any information, I might get <laughs> like the Dolly magazine or something, you know, once a month. Whereas now children and adolescents who are growing up have a constant access to social media on their phones 24 you know 24 mm. hours of the day and there's no filter on the information that they're receiving um, so I, I think that that can be quite harmful especially for children adolescents growing up who don't know what a qualified health professional is mm. they're just going to follow someone that's funny someone that you know gives them this information that they think is that, that they can trust um, so I think it's, yeah, that's constant message. Um, again, messages being from unqualified people and there not being any way that social media can really, um, put boundaries around what people can view or not. I know that they have made a little bit of a change, especially on Instagram with certain photos, um, but it's really hard to monitor. And I think there's, you know, there's things like what I eat in a day posts, filters, editing photos, which just makes it so hard to know what even is real anymore. I saw this horrific video that came around. I don't know if you saw it, Fizz, um, with the model that was getting butt <laughs> buttocks padding yep. put onto her butt. <laughs> I can't, so that, but honestly, I saw that. Like everyone was sharing on social media and I'm like, I cannot believe like people, what, what goes on in behind social media? I was like, I thought, oh, I've seen everything. That one actually really shocked me. I'm like, what is happening in the world that we're living in that we feel that we have to go to that extreme? So, yeah, so th there's definitely those sorts of negatives. I feel like the positives, though, is that especially when it comes to recovering from an eating disorder or having an unhealthy relationship with food, in the past, there has been no such thing as like an eating disorder recovery community. It's been so hard to connect with people mm. going through the same thing, um, people that really understand you. So I feel like on social media, one of the really positives is that it has brought people together. Um, and there's now some really beautiful eating disorder recovery communities that are, you know, um, available on social media, um, which can just be so helpful in terms of, 
motivating someone, keeping someone accountable in recovery. And really it's a space that people are receiving the correct information. Mm, And I love that. And I think, you know, knowing, knowing how peer support groups can be such a fundamental space to help you recover in whatever you go through it's so important but we also know that there's a detrimental side to eating disorder communities sort of coming together and you know it seems like they're supporting each other Um, and I've seen this because I've had a few friends go go through this but actually it's like them pushing each other on and spurring each other on to have a constant unhealthy relationship and I guess just quickly as a dietitian how how do you manage that because I think that's something that people don't talk about but it is often seen and I really do see that yeah oh I agree so when I say recovery communities again there can be there's such a vast range of people within that community so there are influencers within that community who are not recovered who say that they are or who are recovering and again not the most helpful accounts for people to be aspiring to but then there are recovered individuals there's some amazing dietitians and nutritionists recovery coaches you know exercise physiologists physios yoga teachers whatever it may be that have recovered and you can clearly see that they have recovered so I understand that for someone going through recovery it is really hard to know which accounts to follow because you might think that someone is further along in their recovery then they let on. And especially because it's social media, you're only getting a snapshot. Um, So definitely as a dietitian, I will talk to my clients about sort of what are the appropriate pages or accounts to follow. Um, And sometimes it's actually about stepping away from social media for a certain time period during someone's recovery, Mm. um, because sometimes it can be more harmful than not and really curating a feed that's going to be helpful for you. So I think even just an example, when people go through recovery, they might be really specific on the type of people that they follow. Um, So it's about diversifying the feed or not just following nutrition and eating disorder recovery accounts. It's about following accounts about puppies or Mm. travel or whatever it may be. So you're not constantly bombarded with that same message. Absolutely. I think it's so important to have like something that's an outlet where you kind of like see a little puppy photo. You're like, oh my gosh, that's so cute. Um, but it's it's kind of like it's that endorphin feeling, isn't it? There's sometimes things that we see that can be really triggering. And there's things that we can see that can instantly make us smile and make us happy. And I think that is in any sort of recovery situation, you want more of that little things that are going to boost you and make you happier. And I guess that's a perfect way to sort of lead on to the next question in terms of we, you were speaking about the recovery journey there. So can you just outline what a recovery journey for someone going through an eating disorder looks like? And when you actually start to see that, yes, okay, this person has recovered. So everyone's journey will look different. The difficult thing with eating disorder treatment is that, you know, if you break your leg, you go and get a cast, you have it on for six weeks done if you have to have any sort of surgery there's really there's a set treatment plan there's set medications set guidelines but when you're recovering from an eating disorder there is no timeline there's no one treatment method there's no one approach that's going to work for for you which makes it really difficult because it means there's lots of ups and downs 
it's not a linear process. And a lot of people that have eating disorders are very perfectionistic. Um, they want to go into recovery and make it work. Um, so I think it's really important to talk about that recovery does have ups and downs. Some days there might be wins. Some days it might feel like you're taking 20 steps back. So eating disorder treatment is going to be different depending on firstly the type of eating disorder that you have, the severity of the eating disorder. So is it something that's developed in the first sort of one to two years or have you been, um, have you had an eating disorder for 20 or 30 years? Uh, the severity as, as well. So what will guide treatment to is, is someone medically or physically at risk so that could be due to significant amounts of weight loss or being underweight, or it could be due to engaging in certain eating disorder behaviors like taking laxatives or over-exercising or vomiting, um, which can put your physical health at risk. So when I mean that, I mean a change in your, um, your biochemistry. So certain electrolytes, um, it could be heart rate or blood pressure, those sorts of things. Um, and it depends where you are, where you fall on that eating disorder spectrum too. Is it mm. a clinical eating disorder or is it more disordered eating? So treatment approaches, there's different levels. So the most intense, um, intensive form of treatment would be an inpatient admission. Um, and then a step down from that is what we call daycare. So where someone comes into a hospital or uh, daycare centre from the morning until the evening and then they go back to their home at night time. So they receive meal support during the day and also a group therapy program. They might see a dietitian. They might engage in art therapy, psychotherapy. Um, they might have occupational therapists there as well. So different sort of um, program and activities during the day. And then there's the outpatient uh, treatment model. So throughout someone's recovery journey, they might not need inpatient treatment. In fact, most people will go through their recovery without needing inpatient treatment. Um, and then you've got, yeah, the day therapy and the outpatient. So some people will move between them depending on the level of support that they need. Others might only receive outpatient treatment and that will be all that they need to, to guide them through recovery. So outpatient, you might see someone like myself, a dietitian or a psychologist. Some people see a psychiatrist if they're on medication. Um, recovery, eating disorder recovery coaches, and then, of course, uh, a, a GP monitoring for physical health. Um, so, yeah, it, it will look different for everyone. In terms of length of time as well, that could be really different. So there's some people that might be able to recover in a couple of years. Others will be on their recovery journey for 7, 10, you know, 15 or more years. Um, because what's really hard about eating disorders is that when when someone isn't quite ready to make that change and make that leap of faith to let go of their eating disorder, it can keep them very stuck. And so that, that, that will extend someone's recovery. But what I, what I find when I work with people in terms of I'm in recovery is when they've been able to let go of the strains of the eating disorder. So they've been able to take that leap of faith and move forward and start to challenge the eating disorder thoughts and behaviors um, and then for someone to say that they are fully recovered is when 
they're able to really be honest with themselves that their choices and behaviors are no longer influenced by their eating disorder self. So they're able to eat intuitively. They don't have any dietary rules or restrictions that are guiding their food intake. They're able to move their body for enjoyment and to feel strong rather than moving their body to burn calories. There's no obsession or compulsion with the food or the way that they move their body. Um, there are, of course, still going to be some parts of that piece of the puzzle or their the life that might still need some work. So even if someone is, even if someone is fully recovered, we know that because we have a relationship with food, there might be different parts, different times in their life that something might influence their relationship with food or their body again. But it's about having the skills to not go into a relapse of their eating disorder. Absolutely. And I think that's that's such a great way that you you share that because I think it's not one one size fits all, right? There's it, therapy in so many different ways is needed to be able to even control an eating disorder. And you were just talking about there, and I know that a couple of my friends have gone through this, is like things like art therapy and, you know, the group exercises and really finding another way to sort of support and kind of control that uh, what is going on with the disordered eating. And I guess like if you've got an idea behind it, what what is it about those tools that support us as a therapy to be able to you know, heal, I guess. Yeah. So I guess one thing I I would like to say if anyone's listening, who's going through recovery is to not give up because sometimes the treatment model that's been recommended or that you're trying to do is not necessarily the right one for you at that point in time. It doesn't mean that in six, 12 months, you can try that, that model again. So it is about finding something that works for you and meets you with where your motivation is at, at that point. So when it comes to all those different sorts of therapies, so when we think about, um, you know, the, the psychotherapy, so seeing a psychologist, um, the talking therapies, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, it's really getting you to find the connection between the thoughts and behaviors of an eating disorder and learning the tools to start to challenge and overcome those. Um, Because without the action, we're not able to change our thoughts about a certain belief. So for example, if you're really fearful of carbohydrates, I could give you all the education in the world to tell you why our body needs carbohydrates. But until you actually start to eat it and notice that the world is not going to end, that nothing really bad is going to happen, your worst fear is not going to happen, then you're not going to be able to change your thought about carbohydrate foods. So that's how sort of the the therapy side of it works. And then you've got all your different types of therapy. So yoga therapy, art therapy, they're just different ways of helping you to explore your thoughts and beliefs, um, your relationships, um, your relationship with yourself or with others. And it's like when we're in primary school or high school, people have different ways of learning. So Mm -hmm. some are rote learners, some like to draw, you know, thought processes and stick post-it notes up on the wall. Other people are just good with reading. So you have to find something that works for you because we all learn differently. 100%. Like it's an expression, right? I always think of it as one of my friends used to say the only way that she could like 
show people what she was feeling was a story of a dance. So she's just start dancing. <laughs> and like, just, just like, I, I don't even know what half of the things meant. I would just watch and I'm like, okay, so she, she feels this. <laughs> so, but it's, it's, it's a beautiful way. Cause I think, you know, when we'll talk about like how as a friend you can support someone through that right but before we do that I just wanted to like there was a quote that you said which was you weren't born hating your body you learned to do that and that really hit me the other day where I was like yeah like we're not born hating our body like we're, we're so we're born trying to accept our body as like a young person as a child and you know it's everything else that makes us hate our body like if you went back to your core, you wouldn't, it's not you, right? It's all the things around us, people's noises, or even like what your mum might have said to you or, or your dad, like, especially if they're, like you were saying at the start, they were always on a diet, they were always exercising, but they don't realize that making their child feel exactly the same. Yeah. Part of eating disorder recovery is reconnecting with your core values. Like what sort of life do I want to live? What's who's the person that I want to be? And you are so right in in saying that. Like when we are born, we don't know what a calorie is. We don't know what body image is. We don't know what a carbohydrate is. We're influenced by everything that we learn, what people say. So same thing as yeah, love that you resonated with the post about we're not born hating our body. We're not born fearing carbohydrates. We're not born fearing a certain number on a scale. We have learnt to fear all of these things and we've learnt to allow them to influence our lives. But equally, we can learn to undo the influence mm. that they have. Absolutely. And I guess like sort of leading on from that is talking about how as a friend or as a family member, you can support someone going through an eating disorder and help them find that sort of a happier mindset and no, not to give up because that is a big thing. That is a fundamentally a huge thing is not giving up and feeling like this is my life because you can reverse it in certain ways. Yeah, absolutely. So when we think about eating disorder recovery, for most people, one activity I like to do with people that I work with is looking at what percentage of someone's life is sort of made up of eating disorder thoughts or behaviors so we do like a, a pie funny but yeah we do like love a pie, a pie. chart <laughs> love a pie chart and for a lot of people that are really in the depths of their eating disorder it becomes their world and so all the other incredible things in their life their friends their family travel um, salsa dancing, yoga, become smaller and smaller pieces of the pie so that the eating disorder might take up 60 to 70% of what someone sees as what's part of their life at the moment. So how friends and family can be really supportive is actually to start to rebuild those other pieces of the pie into someone's life. Um, so because as those other pieces expand, it then pushes the eating disorder pie down and that mm. piece of their life becomes smaller. So I absolutely agree that it's so important to not give up hope. Um, and I think for friends and family to be aware, because what I find, you know, even as a health professional, and I know that friends and family members feel this too, is that we have to hold a lot of anxiety, I guess, about the realistic expectation of someone progressing through 
their recovery. Um, We can't make someone change. And Mm. so as a friend or family member or a health professional like myself, it's about being there to support that person and guiding and guiding them as much as we can. We can't do the change. We can't make the change for them. No, we can't. Um, And I think that that's the thing, isn't it? It's just saying you can't force them or kind of push them because that's the worst thing you can do where people are like, just get over it. Like, just get over it. And you're like, get over what? Like, how, how do I get over this? Like, it's not as easy as sort of like putting a plaster on it and being like, it's done right it's it takes more than that it's all about it is the patience of people isn't it around you yeah yeah definitely patience and continuing to hold hope and just being there so I think some of the best things that friends and family can do it's really having an open conversation with their loved one about how they can support them because it's again it's going to look different for everyone is it that I can call you after a meal is it that, um, yeah, we can go out and have a coffee together? Is it that you just sit with me and watch a TV show together and sit in silence? Like how, what does that person need from you and how can you meet them where they're at? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think as even a healthcare professional, how do you cope with all the things that go on and the things that you see? Because I can really appreciate it. It must be really difficult, like seeing patient after patient, whether that's an adolescent, a child or an adult. And I've worked in the hospital field myself as a patient advocate. And I know how how difficult that can be. So how, how do you manage to hold yourself in all that? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It is a really difficult area to work in. Um, especially in the hospital setting where I see some of the most unwell people with eating disorders. So I think for me personally, um, it has definitely helped for me to have my business um, that I can have both my clinical role and also run my business at the same time, just because it gives me a different perspective as well. So I'm working with different people. So it's, yeah, it's nice to be able to see this the spectrum um, rather than being so I guess, tunnel visioned as to what, you know, what eating disorders are, because of course people leave hospital and they go on and continue their journeys. When you're just working on, on the hospital, you don't get to follow that up. Whereas working in private practice, I'm able to follow people up, which is really lovely. Um, So yeah, having that balance, I do have a supervisor that I speak to every month as well, which is really important. Um, And I encourage any any person working in the eating disorder field to make sure that they put aside some time to actually talk about how their work is going, what their mental health is like. Um, And I think for me, it's really important to set boundaries in terms of time and ensuring that I do activities outside of my work. So making sure that Mm. I see my friends and, you know, I cook, which I love to do. And I, you know, I do all these things that really align with me and the person that I am to make sure that I keep that fire alive as well. 
Yeah. And I see the honesty come from your stories as well. Like over the years, it's kind of that thing you really do share openly being like, okay, I'm taking a break from social media because it's getting too much. Or, you know, I'm going to take myself away to, I think, was it Santorini that you went to recently? (laughs) I feel like I know you. I'm like your (laughs) best friend, like (laughs) on the sidelines. Um, But like even being able to take yourself away on holiday and give yourself that time and that mental headspace, because I think it's so great that we can have these conversations but I'm always so aware that behind that person that is that job title is a human being and I guess what is it that helps you manage your stress and manage your like just doing activities for yourself yeah again this is a very honest conversation for me that I do struggle at times to find that balance um, especially being a business owner where you're mm. you never really are able to switch off So it's something that I am constantly working on. And I know that I think, you know, a lot of people are always trying to find more of that work-life balance. Um, I'm definitely getting better at it. And I think that sort of coming out of the pandemic has helped me to just reevaluate certain aspects of my life too, in terms of work versus life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, one of the things I find really helpful is actually coming up recently having breaks from posting on Instagram has helped me hugely. Um, I found, I find that now spending so much time on my phone actually is really bad for my mental health. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm trying to disconnect as much as possible with that. Uh, and yeah, really just doing fun things as much as I can um so if, you know for example tonight I'm going salsa dancing which Ooh. is really exciting so yeah I do try and take myself away from my work where I can but it is a learning process and mm. I hand on heart admit that sometimes I'm not the best at it um so yeah yeah constantly and learning thank- And that is it exactly that like we are all constantly learning and I think people think tend to think when they're looking at social media and looking at someone being like oh my gosh they're so successful and they've they've got this many followers and they're doing this and they're doing that and you're like just check back in with that even saying that like they're human being like of course they're not always gonna have everything together and especially when you're working in really difficult fields of work and I think yeah you're you're so amazing and yeah just inspiring so you know I keep saying that to you <laughs> thank you <laughs> that that is just yeah. literally me I feel like I keep meeting people I'm like just so magical <laughs> like you you share that spark of joy and they're like Piz you're right I'm like yeah I'm just a fever <laughs> um but I guess like what we really wanted to talk about was your amazing rule breaker challenge so I remember like watching this through lockdown And I was just really interested with what was going on and how you were kind of bringing this to life. I'll let you explain it first and then we'll get into it. So what is the Rule Breaker Challenge? Yeah, so Rule Breaker is something that I came up with literally, I think it was like the 29th of December last year when I was just standing in my kitchen. We were in or just going into lockdown. And I think I saw someone post something about, you know, like a 14 day detox or something. And I got really angry and I was like, you know what, this is not what my community needs going into the new year, going into another, potentially another tough year. So what can I do to support my community? And I had the idea of, well, instead of doing a 30 day diet, which so many people jump into as a new year's resolution, I was like, I'm going to do the opposite. And I'm actually going to 
come on every day for 30 days and eat a food that might be challenging that I know from my experience working in eating disorders that might be challenging for my community to eat on their own. So I created a 30-day fear food rule challenge where I came onto an Instagram live every day and just ate something and chatted about the food, answered people's questions. And it was just so nice. We had such a great community. I think on the final call, I actually moved over to Zoom so everyone could meet each other and say hi. And we had about 25 people, um, which is just so lovely and it was so unexpected. And because that went so well, I then decided to make it a proper program that I could offer to my clients as a six-week food rule challenge. So I've just finished the second round of the Rule Breaker Challenge. Um, And what that involves is every week we jump on a Zoom call three times a week. And we also have guest speakers and we have a meal together. And so it's for anyone that is in their recovery, anyone that has a disordered relationship with food that's really struggling or feeling stuck in their recovery and still being bound by that black and white approach when it comes to food, certain food rules that they just don't have the support or they're not being able to be held accountable. They just need that bit of an extra push and guidance and support from a community to be able to overcome those food rules. And for both rounds that I've done now, the key piece of feedback that I take away from this challenge is that supportive community and actually being with people who get it because if you have an eating disorder and you say to your friend yeah I I can't eat chocolate or whatever it may be you might not get the response that you need to help you to overcome that fear Mm -hmm. so by doing it as part of a community you know the people that have gone through the challenge is saying that I actually feel heard by people that understand what I'm going through and they know how difficult it is for me because when you have a healthy relationship with food and you don't maybe not as um, upskilled or as educated about eating disorders and disordered eating, it's really hard to understand what someone is going through and hard it is Mm. for them. Yeah. And I absolutely love the way that you've brought that challenge into place because I think that's something very unique that a lot of people don't do is Mm. to really challenge a certain food. And it's simple things like, I think there was one I tuned in and you were going to get a coffee from a takeaway coffee. And was it maybe a croissant or something Um, alongside it if you wanted it, if you wanted a snack. And I remember just like being like, oh, my gosh, it's simple things like this that people don't realize that, you know, an eating disorder or a disordered eating, the simplest joys that we find in life where I'm like, I'm going to go get myself a coffee, an actual coffee from an actual place. And I'm going to get a croissant. But that can be so scary and really fear-driven inside of you because you're like no I can't go out for a coffee or even a walk with someone or even simpler I think the very first one I did was having a whole banana Mm. and I and I got messages from people like some of my friends back home they're like oh my god I had no idea and I was like yeah like Mm. we're not we there's not enough education and awareness about eating disorders and disordered eating and what that actually looks like. It's not someone who has that's extremely underweight in hospital. That's only a very small percentage of people with eating disorders or disordered eating. Mm. Majority of people are living in our community in what would be deemed as a, you know, a normal size body. Um, They might come across as being, yeah, maybe health conscious. Like it's, it's a very secretive illness and that's what can really 
hinder someone from getting the support that they need. And I think even saying that where people are like, but how can they not just eat a banana? Like that's so simple. But what you don't recognize is even having a slice of banana can be really difficult. I guess like you don't know why and certain people don't know why. It's just the fact that they've got a fear over it now. Yeah, it is what it is. And we just have to take it as that and then work on overcoming that. Yeah. And it's, and it could just simply be like, okay, you had one slice of banana today. Let's have two slices and then three and then four. And it's just building on that, which I think is, is incredible with, with the rule breaker and how you've really nourished a sort of, not just a a nutrition way, but a supportive community, which we see um, to help others find that sort of spark back in the love for what they love, but also like takeaway pizza, Mm. like, go for a takeaway pizza, order a takeaway, let it come to you. You don't need to eat all of it. It's okay. Just try a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so can people join that online? Is that something that you you are going to put out on in January? Did you say? Yes. Yes. So my next round will be launching in January. I'd originally thought January 1st, but I'm now going back to Australia to visit my family. So it will be in January at some point. (laughs) That's exciting. Um, Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah feels very strange but yeah it will definitely be exciting I think once I get onto the plane (laughs) yeah I think that's the biggest thing isn't it but yeah I'll definitely put that in the show notes because I definitely think even as a someone that was very interested as a healthcare professional I was just like I'm so fascinated by this and how and it's intuitive eating right if you look at it it's it's all about being really intuitive feeding not only your body but your soul as well like what is your body asking for like you know but once you've got that you're starting to recover if if that is something you're going through it's just finding that balance finding that support and that balance to get there yeah absolutely and I think yeah there's there's nothing you know I don't want to toot my own horn but there's nothing really like rule breaker out there um, that I'm aware of so it is quite a unique um yeah a unique challenge and a unique way of helping people but I think it's definitely needed yeah definitely well I'll yeah. toot your horn for you <laughs> Talia go go follow her <laughs> we, we we spoke obviously about how you find your happy and optimistic mindset uh with just you as a human being but also as you as a brand because you know shaping yourself into as a as a business owner now what are the biggest lessons you've learned with that? Because that can be really difficult. And I know maybe some people that might be listening might be health professionals that are interested in, you know, discovering an entrepreneur side to what they do. So have you got any tips on that? It is a huge learning curve, isn't it? Yeah. Um, because you don't learn any of this at university. So that's where having my supervisor uh, who ran her own private clinic was really helpful. Um, I think when you're setting up a business and when you're starting out, it's so important to make connections with people that are also new business owners that you can bounce ideas off um, and support each other because it can be quite lonely at times, especially if you're in private practice on your own. It is super stressful. There's a lot of late nights. Um, So, yeah, I think just really... the hardest part I found was just knowing what to do, like the legalities of it, you know, setting up a website, all of these mm-hmm. things that you just don't know. So I think if you can to delegate where you can and ask 
questions, the worst thing that's going to happen is that someone will say that they can't help you or the answer is no, or you've done it wrong. And then you just have to learn from that. It's a constant, it's just a one big learning opportunity. It is. It's, a, it's a lot of failures, isn't it? It's failures mm-hmm. and then challenges. And yeah. you're, you're constantly feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not getting anywhere. But the thing is, well, it's better to have those failures at the start than it is w- when you're at right at your peak, because you want to understand what is actually going to be great in my business and how am I going to run it? Yeah. And I, you know, there's definitely been failures um, with my business, but I wouldn't have then been able to make the changes and grow without those failures. So I'm, Mm. I'm a big believer, you know, things will happen for a reason. We just have to learn from it. There's no such thing as failure. It's just a learning opportunity. And I think that's the mindset that you need to have if you're going to go into and yeah, into business. Yeah. Mm, I love that. And I guess in terms of Talia, who is Talia now? And who do you think you would hope that you're you're bringing to light when you're on social media or, you know, out and about doing your speeches and things like that? Yeah, I think, again, going a bit personal and honest that I have grown so much in the last 12 months. And I think that that's partly pandemic. For some reason, turning 30 was a huge shift for me. Um, so yeah. But yeah, through the pandemic, having my own business, um, I think I really started to align with my own values and what makes me fizz um yes. but it has not but yeah it, it's it's strange that it's really I've just seen huge personal growth in the last 12 months um so if you know I want to be someone that is comfortable in their own body and is confident um that really values friendships and for friends and family to see me as someone that they can reach out to that's kind and caring and really is making the most of this life that we're given and for me yeah to to be fun and creative and just really giving it a go yeah and I think that's all anyone can do and it's so pure how you're just like just you know being a great friend being this because we forget all that we're just like you know we want to be seen as this person on social media but then you know having those breaks reminds us that we are just human beings and I think if anyone is listening and just thinking oh my gosh everyone's got their shit together half the time and you're like no one does like no one does but it's all about just building on just who you are and staying true to you would you say yeah yeah staying true to you and learning to be comfortable with the person that you are I think that for a lot of us we spend so many years in our teens and adolescence really not liking parts of ourselves but we're Mm. going to continue being unhappy unless we can learn to accept that because we are who we are this is how we're born um you know even just an example for me personally was that I used to it's so it's so simple but it made such a difference to me was actually accepting my curly hair I don't know if you've been through this phase as well I have I have (laughs) once I learned to accept it I was like why did I spend all those years straightening my hair when like this is me the curls are yeah it's me it's fun you know like yeah so it's just even those little things that are part of you And once you learn to accept them, it's just, you know, you can move on and you can start to enjoy other things rather than stressing over the little things. 
Mm, I, you know, the biggest shift for me was I grew my hair out for the Little Princesses Trust over lockdown and it grew to like over 13 inches and I just kept growing it. And I was like, Fizz, you've just got to accept, 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 accept. Like I kept looking at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, my hair looks like so tired. And so like everyone's probably thinking, oh my gosh, that gal needs a haircut. But I was like, I'm still going to keep growing it. And as soon as I got it cut, like this is the shortest it's ever been. But I instantly fell in love with it because it felt like someone was telling me that apparently you carry a lot of trauma in your hair as well as anything else so as soon as you cut that off you it just feels this sort of like release and you feel like you found yourself again and I think that's the same thing with if you are have naturally curly hair it's really embracing it and being like how can I make it look you know style it so it feels I I just embrace it and it feels great for me um but it is it's a process yeah yeah, it is. <laughs> Sometimes it's the most simple things. Yeah, yeah. And it's the playful energy as well that mm. you you kind of go into tapping into what makes you happy as a child and doing that. And, you know, yeah, just enjoying life for what it is because mm. we haven't got much time. We haven't got much time. So just enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, love that. <laughs> oh, thank you, Talia. I'm going to head into a quick fire round with you. So first question is, obviously, what does finding your fears mean to you? I think to me, finding my fears is really just being true to myself and finding what makes me happy, what makes me fears, what makes me passionate. That's what it means for me. Mm, I love that. And if you were to give three ingredients of finding your fears for anyone, whether that's in the eating disorder community or just generally, what would those three things be? I'd say kindness, always kindness, mm. compassion. And I was going to say love, but I decided not to. I would say connection. Mm. Yeah, I think the love comes from connection. Mm. It's like yeah. a growing thing that comes once you feel that connection and that support, you find yeah. that love within that. Yeah, so, and I think we forget I'll about add- yeah how important connection is. So even when we look at um, the blue zones, so I know I'm going off a bit of topic here. So the blue zones are um, where the oldest living people are. There's five spots uh, across the globe. And yeah. the, the number one thing, a lot of people think it might be nutrition or exercise. It was actually community and having a sense mm. of community. Mm. And I really do see that. I think it's all those communes. How do people live their lives better? And it's often a lot about connection and supporting and being at a community level. So definitely love that. Who inspires your overall fizz for life? I'm, I can't choose, uh, yeah, I, I can't choose one. I think it's really, it's a combination of, to be honest, I learn so much from the people that I work with. Like they mm. truly inspire me. Um, and because of the work that I do, I'm constantly reflecting on the type of person that I want to be as well. So that's a huge part of it. And then, yeah, like, what everyone says is like friends and family, like my friendship group in living in London, are some of the most inspiring people. So yeah, mm. that's where I, I draw my energy from. I love it. 
and I think that's you know it's important to say there isn't like one person it's a mm. trick question really it's just because it makes you think you're like oh my gosh because you know there are so many people that spark different joys in my life whether that's even like your patients or like yeah the people you work with or you know it's all those people that remind you of your why and your purpose for living the way that you do and doing the life that you want to do so yeah trick question but well done you answered well <laughs> So what one thing brings you back home to you? Cooking. Yeah. I really love cooking. For me, that's almost, it's therapeutic. There's just so many memories. Like I mentioned before, like I used to prepare my own lunch at eight years of age Mm. and take it to school. Like to me, that's a really key part of who I am. And it's not just about who I am, but it's the connection. So I would love nothing more than to host a dinner and have my friends over so it's really it's not actually about the food again it comes down to the connection but that is what makes me really happy yeah and what is what's your favorite thing to cook if you had a choice of cooking something oh I think simply you probably pick it up from my feed very simple but porridge I'm very happy when I make that yeah or any like pasta pizza sort of dish it's the Italian in you isn't it yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. But then I'm so gay with the Porridge Appreciation Society. Yeah. I feel like I've been on that bandwagon since like university. Like every day yeah. I'm like Porridge. How can I like make it look better? Like, yeah. you yeah. know, add this. But it's so, because there's so many topics you can put on there. Many flavor combinations. Yeah. What's your favorite flavor combination of oh. Porridge? Yeah. So it's my fa- all-time favorite is peanut butter mocha. So it's, I make it with coffee and like chocolate powder or cacao and then I add peanut butter now that's a dream Hmm. that sounds good yeah okay that is what I'm gonna give give a go recipes on my website give it a go (laughs) right head over to Talia's website what is one thing you have purchased that's under 50 pounds that makes you happy I recently actually purchased a print for above my bed in my room and I don't know if you've seen uh, Coffee Cups of London, if you've seen mm. that come up in Instagram. So anyway, yes, I've, I've, so I've got a print of the coffee cups that are around my local area and I actually had it customised so that I could include the ones that really meant something for me. So they were like places I visited during lockdown or that I've been to with a friend. Um, so, yeah, just to have it there is like a really beautiful reminder of my time so far in London. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that. And how are you finding it being in the city? Because often it can feel like, you know, especially when you've like come all the way from Australia to like London, how how have you found that joy for it? Because it can be such a busy place, but Mm. also you want to make it homely for you now because this is where where you're based. Yeah. Yeah. So London's really odd place, isn't it? Like even where I live is not that far out of central London but yet I feel like I'm in the suburbs like it's a really Mm -hmm. it's bizarre how London is set up but um yeah it is definitely a very busy city and sometimes I'm like oh my god there's like too many people um but I think what's really helped me to make this home is the friendships that I've made Mm. um yeah and it goes back to connection doesn't it because it does it it, it always goes back to if you've got the right people around you that's where you're going to feel the most happiest and home could be safest yeah literally I always say this like it doesn't matter four walls around you are it's the people that are in in those four walls or the people that you 
like surround yourself with and that's that's where the most happiness comes from next one is what one thing would you give to someone else to make them happy right now hug oh yes a hug is the best gift yeah and none of that one-sided stuff right it has to be a proper hug yeah (laughs) yeah big bear hug yeah Big bear hug, because yeah. that is the best kind of hug that anyone would want to receive. I love that. And the last one is, so this is the Find Your Fist Challenge that you are going to set for this week. And it's all about sharing an activity that makes you happy. And you'd like to recommend our listeners to have a go and see if it gives them a little bit of spark and joy. Oh, that's so nice. Uh, I'm going to say, just because it is... I'm just looking out my window and I'm looking at the beautiful leaves outside. I would say go outside right now and go and walk in the autumn leaves, take a few deep breaths of fresh air and listen to your favourite song. I love that. That's so nice. Have you got a favourite song? No. I, I I have, it depends on my mood. Yeah. So I'd have like a couple of songs depending on my mood. I think that's a beautiful, most thing, beautiful thing about this time is the fact that there's so many wonderful songs that you can resonate with, feeling cozy, but also like loved, uh, or it might just be a Nadelle song and you're like, okay, okay, let's go with this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's such a beautiful challenge. Well, thank you so, so much, Talia. It's been such an absolute honor to like connect with you, but also have you on the Find Your Fist podcast. You've been amazing. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a And before we go, I just wanted to give you space to kind of like talk about anything that is coming up and where people can find you. So people can find me at TC Nutrition on Instagram. And that's probably the best way because then that will connect you to my website. So in terms of what's coming up is my Rule Breaker Challenge in January. So if you were interested, please subscribe to my newsletter and yeah stay in touch on Instagram as I'll be sharing details there and then of course if anyone needs any one-to-one support please reach out to my clinic and we would love to find out how we can support you with that amazing perfect and I really do vouch for Talia because she's just even as someone that watches from afar which is always so weird to say when people are like I watch you from afar and I'm like what does that mean Um, but (laughs) you know we, we do realize that we put ourselves out there because we want to support people. And I think you do such an amazing job. So thank you for doing the work that you do. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And hopefully we'll get to catch up again soon. Yeah, definitely. That'd be great. Oh my goodness, what an incredible conversation with one of the most incredible human beings. I cannot believe I had Talia on the show. Honestly, it's like a fan gal moment because it's the people that we inspired by that you think you're never going to ever get a chance to speak to them face to face. But truly, all you need to do is drop them a message, really connect and they might just say yes so thank you Talia for saying yes and helping us rediscover a new way of taking back control so if you are going through an eating disorder or you know someone that is and you want to support them please do recommend Talia to them check out Talia follow her and share all her incredible work 
especially the rule breaker challenge because I think that is such a wonderful challenge to get into. I watched it on social media over lockdown and I can tell you it was honestly the most inspiring challenge I've ever seen. So thank you so much, Talia. I really hope we connect soon and I'm now gonna go jump in leaves. Literally, autumn leaves are my favorite. So I'm loving that challenge. Thank you all so much for coming back and listening to the show. If you took something away from it and you want to give me some support, please do rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Search Find Your Fizz and you'll find it on there. And all it takes is about a second just to give it a quick little rate and review. And that would honestly mean so much. Or share it in your social media. Share it on your page. Tell a friend about it. The more people we get listening to these conversations, the more we'll break down all these barriers to access that support to find our fizz again. So I was saying earlier, our sponsor is the incredible Pip and Fizz, which is a retreats and events company, myself and my friend Pip put together and we do have a retreat coming up in January. Now if you're listening to this we would love to offer you 10% off the retreat I know. So we've got all these good old Black Friday deals so I thought I'd add this one in for you. So why don't you check this out and then message me at Happy Heartflow on Instagram and yeah and then i'll send you the code have a wonderful week and i will chat to you all very soon bye for now fizz